Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Right, we're from Cork. And what's happening in Dublin? Nothing. Don't give it. They don't give a shade about it down here. Don't play it for. Oh, danger here! Danger here! And the Soviets have equalised. Focus on the game. Don't hide behind your cars or your tattoos or your girlfriends or your agents. Play the game. Be careful. The cat. Not say the cat is in the sack when you have not the cat in the sack. The great football, the Liam Brady's, the Ronnie Whelan's, the David O'Leary's. This is a great football and country produced players and we're play that rubbish. So this week I managed to catch up with my former manager Stephen Henderson, who's had a lot to say on the league over the past few years, who knows the League of Ireland very well, but we look back, reflected on his time as manager, how managers deal with budgets, how they deal with certain individuals. And also from my side of things, I put a few questions that players would want to know to him and also some some very interesting stuff in terms of him being a parent, having a child play in the UK himself and what kind of advice he'd have for parents that have hopes for their children getting involved in football and getting across the water and what what could happen in their future. Joined here by Stephen Henderson, a former manager of mine. Made me the player I am today, so uh, any managers who signed me and had a bad experience with me, blame him. Uh, <laughs> but Hendo, looking back at the career, goalkeeper, what made you want to be a goalkeeper, considering that they're all a bit mad in the head, if you ask some people? <laughs> well, they're, they're not mad in the head. Um, uh, what you call it? I think my father was a goalkeeper. He played in golf for Shamrock Rovers. Um and then through that process, then me, me brother Dave, he became a goalkeeper. And then obviously, having seen the two boys, then I decided I wanted to be one. Mm. Um, I loved everything myself about goalkeeping. Uh, I loved diving. I love um, diving at people. I loved the, the the fights that we used to have to get into with big centre forwards. It was all it was great. I loved it. But um, I think that's the perception, the madness comes from because we kind of get in the way of a missile that's coming at you at 70 miles an hour instead of getting out of the way of it. Uh, you know, taking on big six foot two centre forwards. I would have loved to have played against you and me there, <laughs> genuinely. Uh, you know, so uh, so that's where it was. And then obviously after me, my brother Wayne, he went in goal. And then obviously my son Stephen, he went in goal. So there's f- there's five of us that uh, ended up in goal. It's it's definitely something that's been you in the family. You mentioned 
tosses there now with centre forwards? Anyone stand out in your mind throughout your career? Yeah, yeah. You know, no Larkin was a tough cookie for sure. Like really, yeah. There's a lad. I, I'm after forgetting his name. There's a lad uh, I played up north against. Um, he played for Crusaders. Uh, I have to try and think of his name before the thing was out. Uh, it's just a brain freeze at the moment, Graham, because this right. boy, Kirk Hunter was his name. Kirk was, uh, yeah, I remember my first game, the first game I ever played up the north was for distillery against Crusaders. And uh, I come for a cross and I got the cross and I didn't intentionally, um, I genuinely didn't intentionally try to break his nose, but I got him in the end. <laughs> and I broke, and I didn't, it's genuinely, it was just a follow through. And, um, for the next three years, Kirk seemed to have made the, uh, you know, just a, what you call it, a promise of his that he was going to break my nose in some fashion. And uh, every time we played Crusaders, uh, Kirk had no interest in the ball. It was me. He nearly got me a few times, in fairness. He, uh, but it was, I used to I used to enjoy playing against him, to Would be you honest with you. Like going out, I don't want to play today because my nose is going. Uh, no, like no, stage. no, no. Because uh, I, I, I did. I wasn't the tallest. I'm not even six foot tall. Um, but I, I could jump, I could jump high, so I could, and I was a fairly strong lad. So uh, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the battles. I did. did. I thought that was prior to Did he ever get you? Huh? Did he ever break it? Um, he nearly got it. Yeah, he gave me a big. Um, I had uh, three stud marks going down the side of me face. He took all the skin off me nose there once. Uh, I got about three or four elbows into the cheek off him, so he was just a little bit. But the gas thing was, is every time before the match, you just come up and look at me. Your nose is gone today, and <laughs> 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 you know? so uh, you know. But Kirk, he was. A, look him up on Google. He was a big, big man, big man. Yeah, he would. He frightened the life out of you. But you know, there was always an element of respect at the end of every game. You know, he come over and we shake hands. We'd have a little laugh about it. He didn't get me next time. You look back now at them times and now with keepers, I mean, you can't even say boo to a keeper No, Do you think it's just gone way too soft for keepers? Like, yeah. being a keeper yourself, would you be like, no, keepers deserve their protection, or do you think, no? Well, you see, like, Kirk was able to get me because I was, more than I was able to get him because I'm exposed. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm fully extended trying to catch a cross, I have no protection there. You know I me, mean? come on, no, keep no, that's, that's, that, that's if a ball's coming straight down the pitch. If that's a ball coming straight down the pitch, that's grand. But if a ball is coming from a wide area, uh, you're fully extended trying to get it, and you're you're vulnerable. So it doesn't take much because you're in the air. You know, you're fully extended, and you're just you're ripe for someone to come and do you if they want to do you. Mm. Kirk loved doing that. To me. Do you know what I mean? But uh, you know, so you know, I think there's, I think. If a player has genuinely got his eye on the ball, if he genuinely has an eye on the ball and he goes up with the goalkeeper and he gets the ball, I think that's fair. I think that's a fair game. I think if the centre forward at any time looks at the position of the goalkeeper and takes his eye off, then he's deliberately trying to infringe the mm. goalkeeper. But it really is. It's a bit soft. Some of the some of the free kicks are a bit soft. Just, yeah. You know I mean? And then if you look back in your career, the clubs you played, like Rovers, Dundalk, Ards... Who would stand out as the club you were probably most proud well, of play for? I never played for Rovers. My brother played for Rovers. <laughs> great research, great. <laughs> <laughs> that was Larry. <laughs> that was Larry. <laughs> that was me, brother. And my dad played for Rovers. Um, you know, I had some great times. But I actually, 
the reason why I'm down on Cork is because when when I played for Cork, I loved playing for Cork Ramblers. I loved that that time with Georgie Merrick, who's now my father-in-law. At that time, we uh, we got promoted. So, huh? <laughs> must have been a good keeper. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, that was. I, I really enjoyed that because um, we got promoted, and then the following year. We stayed in the league, so it was the only time kind of Ramblers went up and stayed up. Stayed up. Uh, we had a playoff against Finn Harps, um, that we drew up there and we beat them down here. And uh, when when I think of you as a centre half, the reason why I always think of you as centre half because my centre half then was a fella called Paul Bannon. Uh, Bannon was he was my coach. He was absolutely sensational. The way the man he he made the game look so easy. He never broke his way. He couldn't actually run. <laughs> at this stage in his career I know what so, that's like so, <laughs> do you know what I mean so this was late in his career but the man just read the game so well I've never seen anybody uh, head the ball as, as Bannon did it was just his, all his time and, and the height he used to get up off the ground but then he was a lovely football player and then when you needed a goal Georgie would throw him up front 9 out of 10 times Bannon would come up with a really important goal for you so uh I loved I loved the Ramblers thing. I loved the way uh, you know we got promoted and then that season then because uh, you know it, I started off with Dundalk um, and I got a few runs for Dundalk, but Alan O'Neill was the goalkeeper. Alan O'Neill would have been considered one of the best around mm. at that time, so so it was difficult to get in there. And then down in Limerick, we played. Actually, one of the times I did get in was against Limerick City at the time. And uh, Billy Billy Hamilton, remember big Billy played for Northern Ireland. Billy Hamilton yeah. World Cup ball into the box for Jerry Armstrong. Him and a little fella called Brian O'Flynn, he was uh, he's a Wales international. So they come over and we played them in a match and I played well in that match. It was actually amazing. Just coming off the pitch, Billy just come over, shook my hand and asked me what I signed for Limerick. <laughs> so code of ethics went out the window there. So uh, <laughs> but the following season I did I did actually sign for them and uh, I had a good two years down there. I think we came toward in the league. Yeah. We got to the quarter final of the FAI Cup. It was actually my brother. Playing for Pat's Beaters in a replay down in Rapban. So, uh, so there's lots of, lots of good memories. Up the north was a great experience, especially with Arts, to get to experience the culture up there, let's say. You then stepped into coaching. Um, was it always kind of a thing you wanted to do, watching managers and watching coaches going, yeah, it's good for me because people don't know everyone... Did they have goalkeeping coaches back then? Like no one training, you see the goalkeepers come out half an hour earlier, and they're they're never with the team really till the last half an hour training. No, no, there was no goalkeeping coaches. It was only starting, it was roughly starting. It was only people were just getting interested in the coaching side of things then. I was playing for Arts up in Northern Ireland, and uh, what you call it? I had to leave my job for for one reason or another, and uh, I was out and I met Billy Young. Uh, I don't know. Billy Young used to manage Bowles, uh, long time, very successful manager, long term manager there. And Billy was an absolute gentleman. And I just got talking to him one day, and he said he said there was a Foss FAI course been run in Santry in Sparsink in Santry. And he said it was uh, the football side of it was about getting coaching badges. So I didn't really know much about coaching to be honest with you, because even playing for the likes of Torlock O'Connor mm. or, or Roy Coyle or these people, the co- Coaching wasn't as emphasised as it is today. You know, you just basically ran a lot, uh, yeah. got yourself fit and then played a match. There was no real kind of, any kind of tactical work was discussed rather than shown on the on, on the field. So when I went and started doing the course with Billy, um, we started doing 
it used to be called level one, level two, and then level three would have been your A license. So level one, um, would you been level two was your B. So you were working to your to your B license essentially. And uh, Tom O'Connor, who's an FBI coach, he just he was interim manager there for the ladies' team recently until your mum come in. Um, Tom was a fantastic coach, and now you're starting to see structure. So I started, I, I did, I started to get where where could you use this, and then you know I started getting much fitter myself. And then I started, I was playing really well up the north, but it was down to the coaching. It was the work that we were doing on this course because I was nearly full time now at this stage. Yeah. But I did become interested in the coaching then. And then, uh, what you call it, I had an uncle who, who runs uh, an AUL team up in Dublin called Begsborough. And they were looking for a manager. I didn't feel that I wanted to be a manager. I hadn't, at this time, I, I'd finished up the north. I'd finished playing with the back and what have you. And um, I, I just wanted to see if these coaching practices worked with any yeah. team. So I tried it with Begsborough. And um, I was player manager. And I enjoyed the coaching end of it. I did, so I started to get into that, but then um, I moved. Uh, I had to leave Bagsborough because I was moving down to Cork to my little Leslie. And uh, when I came down here, then I signed for Cove Wanderers, and Georgie asked me to start taking sessions. And that's when I started to um, to really get uh, into the coaching side of it. And then I, Pat Dolan asked me would I go up and do a bit of work with Cork City for the goalkeepers, mm. which I did. But then I started doing more with the, the outfield players then. And then obviously Carl Rambers came and uh, how does it all started. Like your first job, so proper management as Cove, how does that come about? Like how do you go in, the interview for the job, do they just ring you up or what? Yeah, Barry Walsh, he he wasn't the chairman at the time. But Barry asked me, I met Barry, he was, I was actually at a function in Cove Rambers in the in the bar. And he, um, he asked me would I come and talk to them about the manager's job. I think Dave Hill was at their leaving that stage I think Dave was there Dave was, Dave was at the leaving so I just went and I met uh, John O'Sullivan was the chairman so uh, I went and I met them and I spoke to them and uh, we had a chat it was it was about toward two towards into the season I'm not sure so we went we were down there we were down on the bottom actually so uh, so I went in and we had the, the players that were there were there so we walked with them, and then we, again we were trying to apply these uh, coaching methods that we had learned that I was, you know, from up in Dublin, and tried to put structure on the team, and we did. And uh, we kicked on, and we won a lot of games that year. So, uh, you know, so from then, the end of that season, then it was only till the end of the season. But then from there, then we went, and I went for another. Two, I stayed there for another three years. When you like say when you're meeting chairman and stuff, how do you do like budgets? Like, do you go and go? I want this moment day. Just tell you, go away. Like, how do you? How does that work out then? Like, how does the budget meetings kind of go? I've always kind of. I, I don't, don't know. know I never had a budget. The <laughs> I don't know this side of the game. Like, how no, does budget happen? Like, I've I've only managed two teams. That's all I've had. I've only managed two teams. I've only managed Cove Ramblers and I've managed Waterford United. Back was what they were called then. And realistically, with, with Cove, the budget was never going to be um, big there. Cause I know it's not big, but do they come in and give you a figure? Can you actually get the budget up as a manager? Well, you can try. But you, the only way you'd be able to get a, a budget up as a manager is if you're shown some form of improvement on the pitch. Because if you're just going through the motions and the team aren't improving and we're not bringing in better players, uh, then they're not going to give you the money. 
Mm. But if you start to improve and you start getting better results, then you, you're stronger in the conversations that you want to have. Because then obviously the supporters are starting to say, hang on a minute, if we get another two or three players here, we could do all right. So then they, the, the boards themselves will start becoming under a little bit of pressure to, to increase it. But I was always aware for whatever reason. You know, I, did, I never wanted to put a club in trouble. I've seen too many clubs in trouble. And even when I was signing players, you know, I'd always tell them that I can't offer you X amount because I know in two or three months' time, you're not going to get that. Mm. But all I can do is go to the go to the football club, give me something that you can really afford, ask it, and then once we say this to the players, then we give it to the players and, and then it stays that way. And that worked up until the 2008 season when we were actually when we needed the most, when we were in the Premier Division and uh, when all the players were getting their 5,000 euros a week and 500 euro gold <laughs> well, bonuses. I tell you that I wish uh, I was. We, I'm still owed money for actually, God's sake. I think we actually stopped getting paid about... 10 weeks left at, le- at least. 10 weeks gone, great. No, it, it was early into the season and uh, no, I got the call. Probably got the 18, call. 18 weeks left, I think, yeah. actually. Yeah. yeah, It was very early into the season. And it was such a shame because of what happened the previous year. The, all the, you know, winning the league and getting promoted, and then the FAI really had taken over the, the the running of the League of Ireland as such, and all the teams in the league were full time now at this stage, except for little Ramblers. But even then, we, I was very cautious of uh, the the budget to make sure that whatever we give, we make sure we can give for the season, and. Uh, I think projections then, I think everybody thought that we were going to be getting loads of sponsorship in, we were mm. going to, our, our gates were going to increase tenfold, all this kind of stuff. What people hadn't realised is that the club itself had built a brand new stand. There was brand new floodlights gone into the state-of-the-art floodlights at the time and a brand new dressing room complex was had to have been built that was supposedly uh, going to be paid for through grants and stuff like that. But unfortunately, a lot of that grants didn't come through, and the club got itself into a huge financial mess. And um, you know, there, there was indi- you know, I, I could you could hear people blaming on the players. The players were were breaking the club, and it just wasn't the case. They weren't on huge money by any stretch of the imagination. It was just how the club itself was mismanaged, and the 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 money that 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 was spent. And something to reach a level. This all came because the FAI demanded standards to play in their new league. Yeah, you had to have a certain amount of seats. You had to have these floodlights for the cameras. You had to have, you know, and they were forcing clubs into doing stuff and spending money that they didn't have. And Cove paid for that. And you know, you wouldn't even put blame Cove for it. You just blame the amount of pressure that was getting applied on them to have these standards, and they felt that they had to do it. And then. So the like club it, still hasn't recovered from that. In hindsight, Cove would have been better not getting promoted. Yeah. Because it's cost them going well, up. Well, not even not getting promoted, Graeme. But it's, um, you know, taking someone in the FAI uh, to sit back and say, hang on a minute, this club can't afford that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Uh, you can't just come in to, to League of Ireland football and start demen- demanding clubs to have new new stadiums, new new stands, new floodlights. You can't just come in and start demanding them to do that find the money from somewhere you can't do that that's why there's something like 20 odd clubs went out of business because of these demands that were put on them they didn't have the money to do it 
I know. And that was the same like, when you read there I read at the start of the year a journalist going good luck to everyone for the League of Ireland season hopefully all these clubs still exist next year you go this is an hilarious tweet but something that's a reality like and it's kind of yeah. you'd be worried sometimes don't you but like can the club actually go actually we can't go up because we can't afford that and then does that make the FAI look a bit yeah, but then you know, but like it makes it made it made the FEI look inept back then, and and it's been proven over the last few months mm. that it was inept and it was badly run and it was uh, there was a there was a bullying culture there with clubs, you know, not just clubs but people. You know, there was a huge bullying culture there, get making clubs do stuff that they just couldn't afford to do. See, I would never see it that side. Most people would just say. Oh, obviously, like you said, the players, they're paying the players too much. I never, I never, I was at the club and I didn't realise that was the yeah, issue. That, and that like. was, I was actually, at, I was actually at a meeting there. It was my last um, meeting for Cove Ramblers before I left. Uh, it was the last meeting and there was still one fella there who said, we all know those players um, broke this club. One fella still said that and I was fuming. I was genuinely fuming and I started to have a go off him. I actually, I did, I kind of, and that's when I probably knew myself was trying to get alcohol. But when he said that, I, I just, the reds, could feel the veins going and I had enough of people like him talking that nonsense, complete and utter nonsense. And this fella knows the intricacies of the club. Mm. Do you know what I mean? He knows what happened with that football club. And to come out and say something like that, I was fuming and I wanted to have a go and then I had to calm down a bit after it. But that was the kind of nonsense, the ignorance that you had to kind of contend with. Because the players, the players were always, for me, were absolutely Cove Ramblers. They were Cove Ramblers. These players were absolutely phenomenal. Especially for me, who went in my first job in 2004. Didn't really know what I was doing. But then I was fortunate to get a, a group of lads together who gave everything for that football club, for little or no return. And that's the truth, and you'd know that better than most. For little or no return, they train five days a week for you, if you ask them. And they go through a brick wall for that football club and for that jersey, and they represented that club unbelievable. And then to have insults like that thrown on them used to... Can you course on this now? Yeah, yeah you can. Walk away. Fucking drive me fucking mad. So, uh, so that's where it was. So um, it was true. Now the players gave that club the profile it has now. It's taken them mm. uh, onto another level what they done in two thousand and seven. And again, uh, recently they get them to their first national cup final, the A Sports Cup final. You know, they won the most senior cup there in two thousand and sixteen. So they're always. You know, for little or reward, the players have to be respected for what they do at any time. Not just Cove Ramblers, but yeah. any club in the League of Ireland, because it's difficult. And when you have a player who walks out onto a pitch with a jersey representing your club, doesn't matter where he's from, he's doing that, and he will run through a wall for you, and he needs respect for that. Not to, not to gobshite start talking nonsense. That can be the tough side of management there. But then there was good sides, I mean... Winning the league must have been a very proud moment for you, especially, like you said, you did the own group of lads. I know myself. And how, what was what was the difference in that dressing room, do you think, that made a team win a league? And, how, again, how proud were you of that achievement? Again, you see, the, the players win leagues. We kind of, I think we forced full season there. I think we finished third, right? Uh, we second full season, we finished fourth. We were keeping that core group of players together. And there was a bond building with those group of players. Mm. And you could see that bond building. And you could see the training sessions. That The intensity of the five-a-sides that we used to play was phenomenal. You could actually see that. That the, the five-a-side, seven-a-side games we played 
were tougher than the games we were playing on a Saturday afternoon and you could see that and that's why we left them go we used to do that because that was the desire and that was what you have done and that's what you wanted to do but it just we, we put a good organisation on you we did we structured as well we put the players in the right positions like Alan Carey I'm still not sure I've seen anybody deliver a ball better than Alan Carey I'm not sure you would have you know Al used to, his deliveries from wide areas were fantastic um, you know but if you look at the characters there yourself, uh, Kieran O'Reilly, Mul uh, mm. Kevin Murray, Shane Guthrie, Jamie Maid, Shane Barra, you know that's just to name a few. Some really, really great characters there. And you know when you have a dressing room of talented footballers who aligned as being great characters and genuinely like each other, do you know what I mean? There was very little uh, backbiting within that group. You know there was at the start. So they started getting removed <laughs> as uh, that went down. But I think at the end of it, what we had is we had about 22, 23 really mm. talented footballers who would go for a while, through a while for each other. And like the crack that you had out, like I was part of that, to be honest with you. I've seen it and it used to be some great fun going on. Like, like yeah, I, Move I look on. back now, the difference, the difference from playing then to now. I mean, we used to... After every game, you used to kind of say to us, go and have a pint in the pub straight away on a Saturday night. We used to, and we used to socialise together. And I think, um, why did you have to say it? Why you said that? You did to me for <laughs> <laughs> I used to actually bring a drink with me two games on a Saturday. Because I only I found like, all I, this out. I only found this out later. We were actually, uh, Karen O'Reilly and, and Mucky were down at a match. And they were sitting down and they were telling me some of the stuff that was going. I thought I had things in control. <laughs> I did. I thought, you know, I thought I genuinely I said, right, you know, because we wanted to bring us back to the Bills art. Just everybody's, and that created yeah, oh, it was that massive kind of for uh, us. camaraderie that went on. But obviously, as now, as we progress now, we're starting to find out that probably wasn't the right thing to do. But at the same, I remember, uh, what you call it, um, I think we were at the Dona, something was at that happening. And we were playing Sligo in the... I don't know if you remember that. We were playing Sligo in the FAI Cup down in uh, Coleman's Park. Oh, was it was a league game. I think it was a league game. And we was having a go because something was like that happening. I was saying, just look at the professionalism of these boys. These are a full-time professional team. Paul Cook. We'll have them down here. They'll have them well drilled and all this kind of stuff. Grand. And then we went into the, the bar after it. And Paul Cook was standing at the bar for about three cases of beer <laughs> ready for the bus and then all the other players so literally behind the bar was sold out and I just stood there and I was looking at them and I was shaking my head to myself and I was going to have a glass of coke and I said okay go on give the point I'll change did you ever have, yeah because like I said I used to be in the shower and I'd bring like a nagging with me and I'd have me bottle of coke the boys knew it on a Saturday like but like do you ever have an issue with players where you go He's stepping on the line, you know, managers. How do you see that in a player where you go, he's got a problem here, like, he's drinking too much, he's taking the piss now, like... Well, like, we we used to start training the next morning after a match. In no, we, didn't. we did. We didn't. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we knew you were messing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and then time, you could, sometimes you could smell the drink off players. Do you know what I mean? And sometimes you can just see by their whole body language that mm. they're not what what they should have been and and they've been to excess. The thing about it is that like I grew up in a in, in League of Ireland football and, and around my era drink was very prominent. Alcohol was very prominent in terms of uh how the, so after every game you got pissed. It's just, 
simple yeah. as that. It was uh, like you're talking about your like. ta- you're talking about that. Um, I'd, I'd I'd say I was playing down in Limerick. I'd be getting the train down, and most times I'd be on the same train as the team we were going playing against. You know, and I could see them all buying their six packs and, and for after it. And I used to be, I never I never done that, and that's the truth. I never done that. I used to have my points after it, but I just. How would you be preparing for a League of Ireland football match with it, you know, with ten bottles of Budweiser in your bag? What's what's going on there? But these lads will go out and play like they'd be sensational footballers. They'd be really good footballers. And then you come back on the train and they're locked. And nine times out of ten they're at the beat me, so they'd be slagging me. So you know, then I'd have to drink <laughs> just to get over it. So uh, yeah, but that that culture just kind of that. That kept going. It's, you know, it's, I, I don't think it's too long now since that has really changed, to yeah. be honest with you. You know, like the sports science has come into it now. And, and I think young players in general like the idea of looking after themselves. You know, some of it is it's vanity. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, they want to look well, to go out and get their boyfriends or girlfriends or whatever. Do you know what I mean? They're, uh, you know, they look great. But I think more and more players now are understanding that there's a different uh, kind of training, you know, where you can wear a tight T-shirt to go into a pub, and then there's soccer-specific training. Mm. There's a training and a, and a development that you need to play at the highest level in this game. And we're starting to see more and more of that. But the education coming out now is huge for players because the amount of uh, the coach education department here in Ireland, uh, you know, O'Regan's done a brilliant job there. And it's not just the courses, it's the information that's coming through those courses that are coming back into young coaches that are getting fed into young players and it's happening at a, at a at an early age now and the thing about League of Ireland football it's a lifestyle doesn't matter if you're 15s 13s 17s 19s senior team it's a lifestyle and you have to buy into that lifestyle and that means you, you sacrifice your social life you sacrifice your your, your fish and chips you sacrifice uh, so much birthday parties. There's so much that you have to sacrifice to really play at the highest level in this in this country now. And if you're not prepared to do that, you know you're gonna end up playing in in a, in a lower league. Uh, so you know it's great that that change has happened, and it's great to see it because the quality of the football. I think you're seeing the pitch. You're seeing it yourself. You've mm. been involved in it now for the last two years. So uh, you know. So it's good for you to see. You know, from the last time you were here when you scored that header to the time you come back yeah, there's a massive the difference there's a massive difference to what you've come back to so we go again back more when you're a manager how when you're identifying a player what's the kind of thing managers look for if you're there now how do you go to a game go he's good he stands out what's that kind of especially with younger players it must be hard to identify a younger player and go he's the player I need it's, it's hard for in terms of if you look at it, right, with Cove Ramblers, when I went to Waterford, right, the reason I went to Waterford was because they're at their reducing their budget by two towards. So that's that's why they come after me. That's the reason you went that's, there. That's, oh, I thought I was saying you were like, yes, they reduced their budget in there. I, no, I thought they were at their, <laughs> no, I thought it would be decent, but then, you know, it wasn't much more than what Ramblers were paying. Because they were at their investing an awful lot in trying to stay in the Premier Division. Mm. And they, so they ran out of money, basically. So, uh, you know, so, so when I was at both clubs, so I had to look at the young players. I have to look at them in the in the context, and you know we can have this kind of uh, uh, policy in place that we identify players, we do background checks on them. You know there is a you can't do that, 
but other times when you don't have much money you're out there and you're you're looking for someone with a raw talent that's not going to cost you too much money but you're going to have to take a chance and bring them in and see if the talent is there and then you start to see what are they like outside of it but then when they, you're trying to educate them into the, you know like some of them would go to a pub the night before a match and they would genuinely go in for an hour have a glass of seven up that's mm-hmm. they would genuinely do that but that's not how it works because there's someone in that pub just can't wait to take a photograph and uh, say this person was locked out of his bin you could see him drinking and he was you know pardoning this stuff down and basically tell lies about so what i'm saying is is that although that's all not true he's now put himself in that position to be spoke about like that he's put himself in his position to have people talk about him like that so don't don't do it go home and rest you know what I mean? Just, mm. uh, you know, get into this lifestyle and get out of it. So we were trying to educate the young players on this. Some that really got, did get through there. Obviously not to you, bringing your vodka to matches. Uh, you know, but some that did get through there. And, you know, there's a lot of players who have come through that call Rambler system over the years that have went on and have really good careers. Do you know what I mean? Within the Premier Division here, some have gone to England. You know, some have stayed in and around the Force Division. You know, but they've had really successful careers because, uh, you know, we put a, we, we put a good... Uh, structures in place there in um, in Cove Ramblers for young players and uh, I think it was the same at Waterford because at Waterford you know we, we got to an FAI Cup semi-final in Waterford we got to an EA Sports Cup final mm. we got to the playoffs we finished runners up the second year you know so, but that that's that's true um, you know good organisation because we didn't bring all the Cove Ramblers team down to Waterford you know that's us uh, you know we got the the right lads that would come from Cove that would mingle with the Waterford lads and they get on and I think that same kind of bond started there again with them lads. Yeah. You know, then obviously you were you were phenomenal before you ran off, I mean. <laughs> that was you. I'm joking. As a player I'm always interested in this, right? If I can go and meet the manager, number one thing you do want to know as a player is what money you're gonna be on. But you always have to kinda of like go around the long route, take the scenic route. As a manager, if a player comes into you and says, What's the money? Do you think he's been honest or you go oh, he's just like, he's only after money, you know? Like, how does that come into conversation when it's one-on-one? No, I think yeah, a, lot, a lot of, um, what you call it, I think a manager would nearly prefer, before to start the conversation, to know what you want. To know what's going to get, the, what's this going to get across the line? Do you know what I mean? I think we actually done that with you. This is what happened with you. Straight away, what is it? I'm honest with you. No, you were gone out the door because Cork were going to pay you double. But I think it was... They want that was a lie. It was Fingal were going to pay me double. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? But you were gone. And then they ended up signing for less for Cork, if anything. Yeah, well... You must have been paying your shit money there, <laughs> boy. <laughs> no, I think, I, think, I, think it's, I think that's okay, you know. I think there's too much emphasis put on that. That, like, you know, come here, watch your training facilities, like, what's yeah. this? Like, deep down, I know you don't give a fuck. What, but it's like, you just want to know what's the, what's the end game here. It's like me, if I go into a meeting, uh, you know, like first thing, I, what do I want out of this meeting? Do you know what I mean? So, so I prepare myself for what's the end goal here. I'm sure the player is the same. A player comes in, right? The fact is, he's been talking to players. He's been talking to current players, ex-players. He knows what the pitch is like. He knows what the training yeah. facility is like. He knows the whole background of the club. All he wants to do is walk out there as well, a figure. And that's it, basically. So no, I, I, I wouldn't hold... I don't mind if someone just comes in and says, how much are you giving me? Okay, that's how much I can give you. Okay, yeah, that'll do me. Great. Then we can have a proper conversation about where he's going to fit into the team. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because 
they already know the rest of it. You know? So, uh, no, I wouldn't put any... Come in and sit down. What you give me? There you go. No, that won't do me. See you later. Have you ever spoke to managers before where they've actually gone... He was cheeky, came in, asked away too much. I just yeah. get him out straight away because yeah. he doesn't care, obviously. Uh, yeah, sure. At Waterford, I went. Uh, I, met a, <laughs> I went and met a lad who was at there retiring from the game. Uh, what you call it? Well, he was supposed to. He had to go amateur because he took his tax break. Oh, right. And I seen an opportunity, right? Because you can only go amateur. So I went and met him. Fuck. He asked me for my weekly fucking budget. Like, oh. <laughs> you know, so, so he wasn't the one who walked out. I was the one who look. Thanks very much. Do you know what I mean? Because uh, even half of what he was asking for was nowhere near realistic. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it works both ways. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm going in hoping I can afford you. That's 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 what I'm hoping that I can afford to give you what you want in order to get you signed. And if I can get that over the line, nice and early, grand, because there's a reason why I'm trying to sign you in the first place, because I know where I want you to play, and I know what you want to do, and I know what you're going to bring to the to the group. I already mm. know all that. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. But have he, you ever have you ever, like, had a player and gone, I want, obviously at the start, the manager will go, I need 20 players. I'm going to sign... No offence, but they do sign the squad players at the very end, the budget. Have you ever just gone, like, I'm going to have to cut three or four lads to get in one guy here? Like, yeah. sorry, but that's that's it. Like, these fellas who I, I have been talking to, I'm going to have to ring them and say, deal's gone now. Yeah, I think what, I, what I've always tried to do is have a, have a set budget. Do you know what I mean? And a set. So, you know, the younger players, obviously, like, that's that's a minimum. That's That's the maximum I can pay there. Then I can go up to that, and then I have about three lads on this. Yeah. Right. So I have to be very careful with those three lads. Who gets that? Because that's that's the chunk of it, really. You know what I mean? So, uh, and I, I don't go outside of it, because I do genuinely be aware, especially with Ramblers, I was always aware of the finance, because yeah. they always killed me what happened with the club. You know what I mean? So I was always very aware with that. So I'd have a maximum that I can pay for a player, for a specific player. And that's what I'd offer them. And if they take it, they take it. If they uh, they don't, well, then I'll have to try and move on somewhere else. But uh, I think, you know, honestly, Graham, and I'm not bullshitting you here, I just think an 18-year-old kid and a 27-year-old experience, uh, yeah, we're probably going to get more out of the experience, lad, because of that experience, depending on who the player is and what he's learned over the period of time. But it's uh, these kids are putting in as much as he is. They're training the same amount of time as yeah. he is. They're training harder because they want to try and improve themselves. They're travelling all over the country. And, you know, there should be there should be a minimum wage brought in for, for any player, uh, whether it's amateur or whether it's semi-professional, whether it's full-time professional. These kids, too many of these clubs just, you know, abuse, yeah. you know, the negative nature of what football is in this country. If we can get people in for free, we do it. And it's a, it's hard work, it's hard work, and I've been guilty of it myself, uh, because I have no money. But you're just trying to, you know, get them along and and try and get something at the end of the but line for them. Like the managers can do that because they know these lads don't have a name in the game, and they have to get in the door somewhere. Because yeah. if if a manager goes, I'll give you thirty quid a week. He's never kicked a ball like League of Ireland in his life if he says no I don't want that the manager will just go well good luck and then he's gone yeah. do you know what I mean so it's it's catch 22 sometimes like isn't it yeah, there like, it is yeah well, I think you have to treat people with the same respect they treat you and you, 
you know, any young player who's who's prepared to live the League of Ireland lifestyle and give her a hundred percent deserves some form of reward at the end mm. of it. It's just fortunate. Like when I went back to Ramblers in two thousand and fifteen, um I got on the bus and I seen three players getting envelopes. Three players getting envelopes and then I seen fifteen players not getting envelopes. All kids. Yeah. And I I just felt sick. I genuinely I just felt sick. And when I come off it, uh, and then after that match, I went to the bar and I said, okay, we can't do it now, but there's never going to be a case that any young player that travels anywhere or plays for this club doesn't get some form yeah. of reward for coming in here, whether that's 20 euros or whether that's 30 euros. I'm not going to have kids sitting on the bus looking at three lads who probably weren't even the best players, to be honest with you, who were giving little or nothing to the club were sitting there you know, showing off that little envelope, whatever was in there at the time, I don't know. So we've always tried to to make it a case that no matter what or how little, we just some form of reward. We're always trying to improve as the club progresses. From again, I'm I'm asking this from a player's side. When players knock a manager's doors, does that annoy a manager? If you're knocking, going, why am I playing? That kind of way, does a manager go, oh, I'm going to get him at some stage? No, I think what happens is, I think it's the timing when that's asked. I think I think that's the problem. I think if if um, if you ask the day before the match, or you ask the day of a match, there's, there's going to be a problem there. It's, there's going to be confrontation there. Because as a manager, you're really focused on trying to get a result. You've mm. done, you spent the week deciding on this team. Uh, and now all you want to do is put your efforts into trying to get that team right to to do what you want them to do. So that's on the Friday. You're reiterating. You're going through your set pieces. You're actually talking sometimes one on one to the players. You're just ringing them just to make sure they know what they're doing. And then uh, obviously the match day. Then your focus is on that. So if 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 a player who's not started comes after on those two days, yeah, yeah, I think I think you're going to expect a bit of a backlash uh, on the Sunday then. If uh, if we've lost, yeah, and he comes to you again, yeah, then I perceive that as you're coming gloating now, yeah, uh, you know what I mean. And then I, but sure, when I, is the good time? So like, you can't go in when you're. I winning think the next, next I think the next training session. I think the next training session is the one to do it. Do you know what I mean? If because the team will be named on the Friday. Well, Thursday, I, st- I stopped doing it on the Friday on the the night before the match because um, whatever happened, we were playing Drahad in the playoffs. And um, change system, change players for the away leg down in Drogheda. And the assistant manager of Drogheda come up to me and told me my team and told me my system. So that was it. I don't know where it came from. We were doing it on the pitch. We were doing our shape. I don't know where it came from. So I stopped naming teams then until the the day of the match because now we won the game 2-1, yeah. but we lost uh, on the, over the two legs. But that um, that annoyed me. That I can see it from that side, from a player's side. You want to know the night before the game because you're going to the game thinking, "Am I starting? Am I starting?" Rather than what's this game? Yeah, like, of course, some lads will know they're playing, but there's yeah. always one or two. But like, what if a player keeps coming in two weeks in a row, three weeks in a row? Okay, well, I like, think what I think what happens is right. So first of all, there has to be a reason why he's not starting. So yeah. I think that explanation has to be given. That used to be difficult before video analysis. Uh, because no matter what you tell the player, no matter if you had me and I had another coach and another coach saying, the reason you're not playing is because, Grandma, you're not holding the ball up. I don't know. Yeah. Every time it goes into you, it's bouncing off you. You would tell the three of us where to go. 
That's what you do. Yeah. And so would other people. That's okay. So now a video analysis. We'll say to you, Graham, you're not holding the ball up for me. And you'll say, yes, I am. And I'll say, let's go. And we sit you down and we go through the reasons with it. So it's there. So, so your argument is gone. But my argument would be that was six weeks ago. I've okay. been different in training. Now, because, now because, you've done <laughs> that six weeks ago, because you've done that six weeks ago, this other lad is that they're getting in. And he's been And doing he's useless. done really well. No, he's been doing really well. Because if he was doing useless, right? If he's doing useless and you're doing well in training, well, then obviously the situation has to be reviewed. And then this lad has to be brought in and showed the video analysis. Do you know what I mean? But uh, you can't... The video analysis makes it easier. But if you're just coming up to have a go because you're living off reputation or you feel it's the right thing to do, the reason you're not in the team, there's always a reason why players don't play. There's always a reason. Is there ever a case of teacher's pet? Like that you go, there's certain players, Mourinho said it years ago, he's undroppable. Is managers have undroppable players where you know even other players in the team go, well, he's playing no matter what, this lad, no matter... He could have four or five bad games in a row where another guy might have one bad game you take him out of the team. That does happen in football, doesn't it? Yeah, but you have to ask, why, why, how have they made themselves undroppable? Do you but know what I mean? That's you have coming to, back to you, right, going, in, his in reputation. The okay, so you have to come back. Great, so you have to come back in the... What did you say there? You said a fellow goes in his reputation, but he's played five bad games, no, and you no. go, he's still in the team. Well... Okay, so I don't I think played. I've ever let a player go five back again. I've, I've, I've always had it in my head, three strikes and you're out. I've always had that in my head. I don't think one bad game should no, do I, it. No, I agree I don't with you think there too. Two bad think, games should do but it. But do you agree with me that you think this is more of an argument than the podcast? Do you, oh. think, do you agree with me? Do you think that some players have one bad game and the manager just goes, yes. well, he's easy to drop, I'll yes. get rid of him? Yes, that definitely happens. And that's not fair because that lad might have been waiting five or six weeks to get into the team and... It's it's not fair on a player to come into a team and go, he has to be brilliant or I'm getting rid of him straight away. Yeah, unfortunately, Just, that's the way it is. That some players, that they are given that opportunity. Who's going to take it? Who's going who's gonna to grasp the opportunity? If you come in and you're given that opportunity and you're sitting there and you're seeding and you're ready to go and you're ready to go and then you go up. But, but what's a bad game? You know, how, how bad mm. is a bad game? That's what, that's, that's what you have to decide. I'd always try and look at, has he, has this lad done the basics well? That's what I've tried to do. Within the structure of the team, has this boy done what he what we've worked on? Yeah. And if he's done that, and the individual stuff isn't going so well, well then that's not a problem, because I know that's going to come. But if he's not doing the individual stuff, and he's running around like a headless chicken, well then that's a problem. That's a huge problem for me. He probably, don't mind the next week, he'll probably come off very, very swiftly in that game. Because that affects the flow of the game. That affects you. If you're playing that team and you have a player who's not putting crosses into the box because he's over the other side of the pitch, mm. well, then that's affecting that's affecting you. So that's two players. So now he's over the other side of the pitch. He's now affecting the other wide player. So that's three players been affected. So now because he's over the other side of the pitch, the fella, the left-sided player and the left-back now have 2v1 against me right-back. So now that's four players been affected because one little fella has decided that he wants to go out on the pitch and run around like a headless chicken so you're not dropping them because it's easy to drop well it is easy to drop yeah. because he hasn't played within the context of how you want him to do the team and the whole team has been affected but that's by sometimes you. fellas come into a team they try too hard because they're not getting they're given the chance they're going into that team going I don't get it like let's 
let's be honest, do managers go, I don't like that guy? I don't like, do they not, like every manager wants to succeed, but in some things in their head, do they say, these are my boys, I'm looking after them first, and then the rest will follow? I can't say that I've ever done that, and that's the truth. I can't say I've ever done that. What I, uh, what you call it? I've played players that I don't, I didn't like as people. I didn't like them as people. They didn't like me. I didn't like them. I assume they didn't like me. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But I played them because of the complete opposite of what I've just told you. Because when they were on the pitch, they done it for the team. Mm. They they done what they were asked to do. So there was a, there was a football respect between us in that context. But from a personal context, there was there was a dislike there for whatever different reasons over the course of the years. But they were played because they helped the team and they made the team better. So uh, what you call it? I, I don't I don't think I've ever done that. No. Do you think with managers now on the sideline one another you go in and have this chat after the game? Is there any managers you caught like I can't stand this guy, I'm not going in any chat. I've never went in just... after any match and talked to any manager ever. And do you think that would reflect bad on you then with other managers going, he's ignorant? Does that happen like No. No You have to understand where I'm coming yeah. from. I'm when, when you say Cove Ramblers or Waterford every game is miles away <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. and I live in Cork so everywhere is miles away so you know I'm I'm not I want to go home I have a family <laughs> so do, do you know what I mean <laughs> home to me fa- I want to go home to my family and I want, and 9 to 10 I have to get up for work the next <clears> morning so you know I've never I've never actually done that I, I probably should do sometimes but I do genuinely you know I respect all the managers and I think I have a a fairly decent relationship with all the managers. There's none I actually... I felt... John Caulfield annoyed me there two years ago to, with um, and I did fall out with him. I think that's the only manager I ever um, really fell out with. Well, what about him annoyed you? Huh? Why did he annoy you? It was... Um, you see, like all managers talk together. They all talk together. And John... You know, John Cork City was his club. Cole Rambler was my club. So, John... I was getting feedback that John was trying to get players out on loan. He didn't want to send them down to Cove because he didn't think it was a good place for them. So I felt that was very derogatory because any player that came from Cork City and played for Cove Ramblers went back to Cork City a better player. And that's all you can ask for in a yeah. loan context. He also, uh, I'd agreed with him that that Pierce Phillips was going to Pierce Phillips was going to extend his loan with us for the rest of the season. He, I'd agreed that with him. That was absolutely not done, dusted. And then the following Monday, that was on a that was on a Thursday, and then the following Monday he's on this YouTube channel, uh, trying to get him out on loan to other clubs. That's only twenty four or forty eight hours after. So I was done after that. That bugged me, uh, got the better of me because, you know, it's hard work being a manager. It's mm. genuinely hard work being a manager. You carry the weight of the world and you carry the weight of the club on your shoulders, especially with clubs like Ramblers where you're constantly, you know, the off the field stuff you do trying to keep the club going. That's you know, you just don't want to hear that nonsense coming from a from a fellow professional basically who, who's having to go off the club and then telling you one thing and doing another thing. But uh, so that's why I fell out with him. But now, in fairness, I was only talking to him last week. It's over. It's done. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I hope he gets back in because what he done up in Cork City was phenomenal. And your head of development now at Shells, are you enjoying that? Because speaking to you, you can see you like working with younger players and developing yeah. them. Yeah. It's a it's a long process. It's a I tell you what, it's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be, and that's the truth. Uh, I knew there would be a lot in it, 
But um, just in terms of getting the structures, uh, there's a lot of roadblocks along the way. There's a lot of politics up in Dublin. You know, I know there was politics in football. We all know that. My God, there's lots, lots of politics up there. That are, you know, there's, there's constantly little barriers put in your way all the time. But um, we've got some great people in. Ken Cairn and Jordan Cowdy's are two boys that have really kind of um, helped me because I'm in. I'm only up there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I needed two people who understood uh, schoolboy football mm. first of all, and and Dublin football second of all. But then we're exceptionally good coaches and exceptionally good people. And with them too, and uh, Barrow Sullivan, who was uh, who was my who was has been with me with Ramblers and with Waterford and with Ramblers again. Uh, we come together and put a development program that's uh, that we think is going to work. That we think that the kids will enjoy. Uh, we haven't rolled it out fully yet, but by next season, at the start of next season, that's when we hope to have the whole thing going across, and then hopefully the, we start seeing the fruition from that. But like, I think it's a lot of responsibility on you know because I think parents nowadays are so demanding on their own kids that then they look at their coaches and every parent has ambitions obviously of when their child's going into a club going he's going to go to England he's going to be the next Ronaldo do you see that like with parents yeah. knowing how difficult it is on children are they like are they feeling the pressure themselves the children children are I, I, I sense the children are feeling a huge amount of pressure unnecessary I don't think they're allowed to enjoy the game anymore um, I think young uh, coaches who are coming into coach these kids are under immense pressure yeah uh, we've lost a number of coaches this year because of certain things that's been had. Uh, you know, when it, when a toxic atmosphere develops, it's a horrible place to be. And when you start criticising people, that's toxic. Whether you're criticising the manager, whether you're criticising another parent, whether you're criticising another child, that's toxic. And that's not that's not uh, good for growth. You're not going to your players aren't going to grow in that kind of environment. And, you know, we've had players where parents come on the pitch and told them the session isn't good enough. And that, that coach has left now. And, yeah. You know, so we, we, we've kind of had to take a step back and look at all this stuff that's going on and, uh, you know, and say, how are we going to make sure that never happens again? How are we going to put the policies in place, the procedures in place that our coaches are there to coach? They're not there to be confronted they're not there to be criticised they're there to learn as much as the child is these are, these are just people who are coming out uh, to learn how to coach the way their kids are coming yeah. out to learn how to play football and you know you can't be criticising them you can't be having to go at people and throwing them out of the pram like I said to you parents need to know 99% of these kids that go away come back but I don't they never see that 99% they see that 1% they see that child in that 1% the other thing that they don't understand is that these kids are coming back scared and we have to be careful of that and we have to monitor that we have to see how are they because kids are coming back feeling like a failure and they're not a failure they're far from a failure but they're feeling that way because there was so much pressure put on them mm. chances are they've had a party for them going away do you know what I mean they've probably had a party for them going away and having all the fair the, you know the family over the aunties the uncles going off to Leeds United great job great job where's the party two years later when he's back are they having a welcome home son party? No. <laughs> ah, they're in their arse. Do you know what I mean? And 99% of these kids are coming home to that. And they're coming home to be Just relax. That's all I'm asking. Will you just relax? And let the kids go and enjoy themselves. And let the coaches learn how to coach. Do you know 
you know what I mean? Just relax and make the atmosphere enjoyable because if a kid gets into car and you're happy, irrespective of if you won the match or yeah. didn't win the match, if you're happy, he's happy. If you're in there and you're having to go, well, the coach didn't do very much for you today, you such and such didn't do it. This is all feeding into the child. This is all feeding into the child's negativity. And ch- children won't grow in a negative environment. So we're asking all the parents, not just a shell one, but everywhere, just relax, will you? And allow the kids be kids. And let them go out and enjoy their football. Because they're not going to make any decision on kids until they're in their teens anyway. So for God's sake, when they're playing from 8 to 11, let them enjoy it. Mm. Just let them enjoy it. And then from 12, we'll start putting them into systems. We'll start understanding the game, but still in an enjoyable environment. These kids are going to be what they're going to be. That's what They're going to be there anyway. Do you know what I mean? So let them do it in an enjoyable manner. You know what I mean? Because most of them will walk away. Most of them will walk away because they're just fed up. They just feel they're letting the parent down, they're letting the coach down, they're letting people down. And they're not. We just want the kids to come out, enjoy themselves, play the game, express yourself. If we win, grant. If we lose, grant. Did you play well? That's all you have to ask your child. Did you enjoy yourself today? Yeah. That's all you have to ask your child. Did you enjoy yourself today? Yeah. Great job. Job done. But of course, being like a parent of a player who's had a successful career in England what's the difference between now and then like do you feel did you feel like you put pressure on Stephen before he went away or did you just feel like has he enjoyed it over there is it like I mean parents listen to you know would say well it's easy for him to say that his son went over and it's all grand for him his son succeeded I want my son to succeed and this was I think like how would you have said to Stephen when he was going, oh, was his advice and how's he found it over? Well, like, Stephen, Stephen done it all himself because of, uh, you know, so I'm divorced. I, I was, I'm divorced from his man. So, and, and it was, that was the kind of situation that he grew, he basically grew up from in a broken home. That's the way people want to describe it. Uh, you know, so Stephen was very determined to do his own thing. Um, and he did so, and he done it brilliant with the help of my brother Wayne. I was there the odd time, I'm not going to lie to you, you know, I wasn't there to push him because I wasn't there. Simple as that. Mm. Uh, proud of that? Not by a million miles. But when he was over there, he went through a horrendous time. And that, you know, that was at 14 and 15. It was a horrendous time. Um I started to get involved. It was actually the first time and last time I ever contacted the football club because I was concerned. Mental health was pretty much ignorant back then. We didn't know what mental health was. Yeah. Well, you know, if you associate mental health back then, it's people in Grange Garmin psychiatric houses. Yeah. You know what I mean? We didn't it's, know what is. mental health was. But this kid was down and uh, he was getting bullied. You saying so much people just see the highs of football That's and under- there's the lows yes. right there where it's actually an occupation you go can be the worst place in the world to be at sometimes like isn't it's it? horrendous because that's bullying over there was seen was, was something that was seen as building character yeah, that's, yeah that, it is. that was their way of building character you know what I mean they think if, if they called you all the names under the sun they were driving you to be something else they're waiting isn't for a response they yeah. always say like isn't you know that? what I mean and that's, that's what they're asking for but sometimes they get the response you know, and unfortunately, sometimes that response, some young child taking taking their own life, because they've been bullied all the way through their through their lives, and that has to that kind of culture has to stop. That bullying is not acceptable in any way. You have to understand the person. You have to understand what gets the best out of this person. Mm. Do you know what I mean? 
there are people out there where you're able to have an argument with a really kind of a loud argument. Do you know but what I mean? You're motivating your old man, not a 14-year-old yeah. child. Like. Do you know what I mean? And you're motivating and you're motivating. And that's how you get the best out of them. There's other ones where you need to go and you put your arm around the shoulder and you sit down and you ask, what's wrong? And when you ask what's wrong, they tell you. And when they tell you what's wrong, it's brilliant because now you can start fixing that process. Mm. Because now that process is more important than that player playing. Because you want that player well. You want that player to feel well, to feel right. And if he's okay, he'll play well. Do you know what I mean? Some other guys just need to get, they want the row, they want the row with the manager because they want to get stuff off their chest and that's the way of getting stuff off their yeah. chest. They have that row, they have that row and then five minutes later, it's an apology but they, they, for whatever reason, the weight has gone off and it's the exact same thing. The weight has gone off their shoulder. Now, that player is good. Now you know what's wrong. Now you can fix what's wrong and now we can move on. But there's two, that culture of, you know, Colin, 14 year old fat bastards and all this kind of stuff like that that affected how my young flirt yeah Ed, you know what I mean I'm not saying he was bulimic or he was anorexic effect what he was he was starting to be afraid to eat food because he didn't know what this fellow was going to be saying to him a lot of people think that's just a joke then you know like a lot of managers see, I see that in the pitch you know people go oh he's a fatty and whatever and then you'd have your fat club and everything in England like and yeah. you don't realise like it actually can be affecting lads like has, has you don't realise what happens but they do run thing, fat yeah. clubs like in England and stuff yeah. but, it, but it does it has, a, it has an effect some people are able to take criticism they are some people are able to take I've had to be able to take criticism I'm a dub living in Cork I get slaughtered <laughs> every day on work do you know what I mean? It's brilliant. It really is good natured. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I think I, that comes with more age. I remember when I was younger, criticism used to really affect me. Like, yeah. get me down, I'd be bringing it home. But no, I, I love it. Unlike you, I actually love it seeing it. Like, anything I write, if I write an article and someone comes back and slays me, I'm like, this is brilliant. This is just the opinion of one person. Like, you know, but, but what you're getting is an opinion. If they wouldn't give you an opinion, they wouldn't read it. Do you know what I mean? So they're interested yeah, enough to read it. Exactly. Because like I don't know if you remember. I made my mind up on you when you were playing for our under-18s. You were playing for our under-18s. Cole Rambler's under-18s. And you were playing up in the tech. You were playing centre-forward. You always say this story to me, but I disagree with you on this when you made your mind up for me. Go on. I remember I went down to Cove 21s on trial and the manager said he'd run out of signing forms, even though he was signing loads of players in the car. <laughs> we, played, we played the first team after that, about two weeks later, and then all of a sudden he managed to find, you were at the game, obviously, the first team, he managed to find his forms to sign me, and he was like, there's forms in your car there, Hendo said I have to sign you up to do that. Like, and I was like, this is unreal, like, do you know what I mean? I'm not a no. dope, like... No, well, I'm telling you, that manager was told after that match that you played in... Because you were playing against a local team uh, and there was people you knew were on that, lo on that local team and they were having a right pop off you. Because, like, Graeme, you were... Bambi on ice, let's be honest, do you know what I mean? When you come up training, I remember the first time you were up training with us, you tripped yourself up twice going to try and head the ball back but not a trainer I told you man. and that was the one thing that you always about you was then you understood that in training you were always 100% you never you never did not work hard you are always at it, at it and you looked horrendous but in a match you changed it was just a complete change and you you know 
all of a sudden your run was more elegant, all of a sudden your balance was better, all of a sudden your judgment in the air was better. So we kind of re- quickly realised then, right, that you are one of these quintessential players who, you know, probably not in your five-a-side team in the training games, Never. but definitely be in the things, you know. But in fairness to you, you went on and had a great career, haven't you, big man? All right, but I think when you look at it, like I said, that certain lads, like I always think of training, and fair enough, you do you get training to get fit, but you don't win medals in training. That's my that's my point of it. No one remembers the guy, yeah. Uh, who scored the winner on the five aside? Like, do funny, the other fella who ever said that to me was shit. I trained as well. It's gas that. No? <laughs> Hold up! What was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 